Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, where we were last time. We're talking about growing unto full stature. That's a biblical theme, very important one. In fact, it's what the Christian life is all about. It's the focus of a Christian. It's to grow up into Christ in all things. Let's read it in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 13. Till we all come. Now, he's butting in on a sentence, of course, about he gave ministry gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministering and so forth. And this is going to happen till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, or full stature, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slide or the treachery of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, in connection with verse 13, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into and unto him in all things. Some of those words are difficult for us to fathom as being words that we can identify with, like the word perfect in verse 13. This is what is going to happen in the church. Somebody's going to make it. He said, until we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. And when you say, well, nobody is perfect. Well, he defines perfect with the next phrase, into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word perfect doesn't mean incapable of sin. Perfect means to reach your intended end. It means to reach completion. It means full stature. It means maturity. It means to grow up, that we are not grown when we're saved, but God sets us on a course of life that if we're tuned in, it will lead us to growing up. Because he said in verse 15, we'll grow up into him in all things. Now, last time I drew on the board, we had two different things here. One is position, and down here on the other end, we had condition. Two things about life. They're connected. In Ephesians 2 and verse 6, it says, We are seated with him in heavenly places. Now, again, we may not understand all that that's about, but the Bible says that. And if it says it, then it's true. Verse 1 of Colossians 3, If we then be risen with Christ, let us seek those things which are above. So, Christ came down from this place to this earth. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. God supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This is your heavenly position. This is where God places his people. When you're born again, this is where you are. This is where you belong. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. The effect of that knowledge, because he mentioned verse 13, knowledge till we all come unity of the faith to the what? To the knowledge of the Son of God. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Something happens to those people who seek after the Lord, not only to know who he is and about his life and the way he lived, but those things that the Spirit of God shows you about him as you seek things that God wants you to apply to your life. So you can say it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. There's got to be a change of our life. But this is our heavenly position. Down here on the other corner is our earthly condition. And though we are flawed and full of mistakes and accident prone and ugly and everything that sin did to us when we came to Christ, God is going to change us from the way we were to the way we're supposed to be. Remember he said he brought us out of the miry clay, set our feet up on a rock, established our goings, put a new song in our mouth, and he is leading us from where we were to where he wants us to be. We call this growth. It's not being a stagnant Christian. I raised my hand. I got saved. I went to a meeting, signed a card. They just told me to sit in the pew and vote and be good the rest of your life and to do your best because that's all you can do. That's not true. That's not true at all. 
My earthly condition is not supposed to be a stagnant, sinful-looking condition. If all things are made new, and if I'm a new creature in Christ, then my life ought to have newness in it. God ought to be doing something in me. Something ought to be happening in me that changes me. Second Corinthians, turn to that one, just if you don't mind. You know, as much as we pay for Bibles, we ought to use them more. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. In the verse right before that, that he said, we're changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then in verse 18, he talks about how God is going to affect his change in us. He said, all of us with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. He says, we're being transformed into the same image. But see, it's your responsibility and my responsibility to look into the mirror. The mirror is what God has for us that he wants from us. It's like looking up to what he shows us. He will reveal to those who look, he will show them the things they need to know in order to be what he wants. If you don't look, you don't change. Are we together? He said, unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. He said, we are being changed. That's the word transformed, made into a new creature. We're being transformed because this is the work that the Holy Spirit does. Some people emphasize the Holy Spirit doing this or emphasizing that or the gifts or something. His main and major work is to enlighten you as to what the Bible says and then encourage you to do it, to live that way. The Spirit live, being led by the Spirit and so forth. The kind of life we're supposed to live. And this life is a change. Is there still a song somewhere in our repertoire of songs about I'm not the same person that I used to be? Well, the reason we're not the same person that we used to be is because listening and being attentive to his word, we get convicted. We get stirred by things that the spirit of God shows you. I can't show you anything. Only God can show you things. You know that. And you don't believe it because I said it. But when you say what the Bible says and people are attentive and listening, and we'll get to that in just a moment, when people begin to give heed, the more earnest heed, paying attention with interest, God begins to show them things. These are the things you get convicted of. These are the things that tomorrow when you're about to do something you used to do, you shouldn't do. This new light, this little voice on the inside pops up and says, you know better than that. You know better than that. You can't say you're growing if you keep on doing the same thing you used to do and ignoring what God said. You know, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And sin is transgression. I mean, God holds us to a narrow line. Christianity is not just some party. It's a life. It's not easy. Like Peter said, it's hard to live this life because your flesh doesn't want to do what God says. But you have to live that way. You have to be willing to live and do things the way that God wants you to do things. Now, this growth that we're talking about, this change from glory to glory to glory or from one level of holy upgrades to another level of holy upgrades, when the life begins to set aside the old and partake of the new and we keep growing like that until we're really different than we used to be. This is a life that God inspires. I want you to turn to the book of Psalms, if you will, Psalms 138. In Psalms 138 and verse 8. This is one of those verses that when it pops off the page at you once, you tend to either remember it, or if you can't remember where it is, you remember the sound of these words. He said in verse 8, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Perfect is in the sense of bring to completion, just like the word in the Greek New Testament, the word teleos. It means he will bring to completion. Remember in Philippians 1, 6, he that has begun a good work in me, he that started this work, he will perfect it. Now, how many of you know that you didn't choose God, God chose you? There wasn't a day in your life, I used to think this when I was a youngster, oh, someday when I get too old to have fun, I'll join church and become a Christian. Right now, I'm too feisty. But I realized once I got saved, nobody can do that. You can join church. 
And you can act like a Christian for a while, and you can play the role and get involved in the routine and all of that. But you can't make yourself a child of God. You can't do that. Only God can make you his. Only God can do it. And when he does, he does it with purpose. God saved us with purpose in mind. There's a reason we're all here. There's a reason that you got saved when you got saved. It's because God who has started this work, as he said, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. He does it. He starts it. He finishes it. You remember the verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, I think it's verse 10. It says, and the Lord, after you have suffered a while, will make you perfect and establish you. God does that. We have a part to play. Our part is to respond to God. We are responsible human beings. We live by choices. As you well know, everybody in here is where you are right now tonight because of choices you've made in your life. Nobody made them for you. You made them. And when we change, God shows us the right choice to make. He doesn't make us do right. Now, he could. He can cause us to walk in his ways. But it seems more right to say or more likely that he shows you and I in our busy lifestyle, all the stuff in the world that we're involved in, he shows us what he wants us to do. He makes it clear to us in a word. We're sitting there and we hear that. Now, I have a choice to make. I can reject that or I can make a choice to do that. And what I do will show God where my heart is. If a man loves me, Jesus said, he will keep my commandments. So if I want to grow and be more than a mouthy Christian or a Christian by name only and member of a church, instead of just being that, if I really want to be what God wants me to be, I have to understand that God who called me out of darkness, who lifted me out of the miry clay, it was his idea, not mine. He brought me to him. He's the one who convicts me of my sins. He's the one who shows me my shortcomings. He's the one who loves me enough to care about me, to deal with me and change me so he won't have to judge me. Because he has to judge sin. So what does he do with you? He shows you what sin is in your life. He shows you how ugly and weak and defiled we are. How easy it is to just be what we used to be. And yet he says the struggle sometimes is against your flesh. Boy, this condition that you're in down here, we struggle in, in this. There's not a soul in this room that hasn't struggled with something on occasion or a lot. I mean, getting out of this fleshly attitude that people have, it's not easy. When you become different today, you're really different. People know that you are. And when you let God deal with you and you let him speak to you and show you things and all of those, that's what he wants. Psalm 57 and verse 2, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. It's God doing it. When you begin to tell yourself, I cannot do all of this, I can only respond to God. Are you all still with me? I can only respond. Even the psalmist said about seeing things in the word that you all do, he said, Lord, open my eyes. Psalm 119 verse 8, he said, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. I can't even see it. Jesus said, you can have nothing except it was given you from above. We can do nothing, build nothing, make nothing, dream up. We can't do anything that's right except respond. Because well, all our righteousness is, is filthy rags. The only thing we can do that's right, scripturally, divinely right, is respond to God. And yet, if you never darken the door of a church, if you never read your Bible, if you're not taught, you don't even know what to respond to. So you invent things to do, and we call it religion. And these things are often very noble, and people get involved. It costs a lot of money. and all. We do all these kind of things because that's our take on what we as Christians ought to be doing. And we're not growing. We're busy. Good ideas, trying to help a lot of people. We're not growing. 
Now, what a thing it would be if God says, you've been a Christian for 20 years and you haven't grown. Whew. The work that I've started, I've said, now this is what I want you to do. But you see, you're not doing it. And when you're not doing it, there's nothing in here that God is promoting. Because when we don't want to do what God says, we think of other things to do. We invent things to do. Everybody gets involved because we like to see things happen. You know, if I'm sitting here growing on the inside, nobody can see that. Those nights I'm sitting up wrestling with God and dealing with things in my life and my weaknesses and crying out to him because I just can't overcome. I mean, this struggles that you have down here, nobody can see that. But boy, God can see it. And you wrestle. And you wrestle and you think, oh, God. Help me do right, Lord. Show me your way. Didn't he say in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, and verse 29, that whom he foreknew, them he did also predestinate or he predetermined that those whom he foreknew that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. So there is a goal. God puts Christ before you. When God said, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased, he was telling all of us who can read that this is the kind of man I want all of y'all to be, this kind of person I want you to be. You can't be a savior and save the world. That's not what I'm talking about. This kind of life I want you to live. This kind of character I want you to have. This is what I want you to be like. This is what God wants in his people. And the work the Holy Spirit does is to illumine him. Now, next time you'll find out that it's all the principle of life out of death. It's a seed. When you plant a seed, it begins to grow. What do you get? reproductions. But the seed has to die. And if it dies, it'll bear much fruit. Remember that in John 12? So there's this change that New Testament's full of. The revelation that God gave to Paul is probably in all of his books. There is this change that God orchestrates in his people, that God starts it. He does it. It shows up in your life and in your attitudes People note that you have been with the Lord. You should be ready always, he said, to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you. Our testimony is like a city set on a hill. People can see it. Not just hear about you being a, a good Christian boy, but see something. Hear something when you talk and things that you do and your comments when responses to what people say and so forth. The Bible says that the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. That's what our life is like in Proverbs 4. That's the kind of life we're to have. It's like a light that shines brighter and brighter. The journey that we're on tonight, God saved you. He knew what he was getting when he saved you. You ever wonder why he saved you? Me too. But anyway, he saved you knowing exactly the way you were. All your hang-ups, your background, your weaknesses, your hidden sins you don't want everybody to ever know about. He knew everything about you when he saved you. Knew what he was getting when he called you out of that miry clay. He knew exactly what you were like. He called you out because he has a plan. And this is where he met you. And he says, I'm going to take you from here up to here. But you won't ever get up to here until you realize that I am pointing you up to here. My God shall supply all of your needs according to what? And you're going to have a lot of needs down here. Now, the world gives you a way to get those needs met, but God says, I have a better way. You've got to make a choice. But he said, I'll supply your needs. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. For in him, Jesus, we live and we move and we have our being. And over and over and over and over, the apostle Paul writes, in him, by him, through him. Everything has to do with Jesus. He's the one that's bringing us out. He's the one that's convicting us. He's the one that's doing all the work. All he asks of us is to respond. If he said, this is the way, walk in it, walk in it. If he said, lift up the hands that hang down, lift them up. We got the easy part. But in doing that, we, you know, we also die to ourselves and so forth. Now, in Ephesians 1, if you'll go back to chapter 1, 
we can only grow and be the kind of people God wants us to be only as the facts of God's word produce faith in us. Let me say it again. We can only grow as the facts of God's word produce faith in us, faith that acts. Anybody can say they have faith, but faith shows action. It does something. It's an active word. It's not a passive word. A man that has faith is faithful. If a Christian has faith, it means they're faithful. It doesn't mean I'm of the Baptist, Methodist, Christian, Pentecostal, Catholic, whatever kind of faith. It means that you are faithful to God. You're not just a stagnant, passive person learning Christian words and quoting biblical passages. You're a person living what you believe. If you don't live what you believe, then you cannot say you're faithful. None of us can. We are faithful when we live what he says. Now, unless we do that, we can't grow. Because you see, God has to show us things that he wants us to do. An uninformed believer cannot grow in faith. An uninformed believer cannot grow, period. An uninformed believer cannot have faith. I don't mean by can't have faith that God saves you, you believed in Jesus. I'm not saying you don't have that. I'm just saying in growing, in what our subject is growing, it takes faith to grow. You've got to believe what he said in order to trust your life with it. And until somebody teaches you the way you're to live, you can't live it. Again, somebody can invent a way to live. Any denomination can publish a doctrinal creed that they stand by, and hopefully it, it's biblical, but not all of them are because they're all different. But until you know what the Bible says, faith cometh how? Faith comes by hearing. If we're going to be faithful to God and thus grow, we're going to have to know what to be faithful to. I cannot be faithful to something that I don't know what it is. I can't have faith in something that God gives me to have faith in if I don't know what that something is. Like Isaiah, teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. If somebody doesn't tell me what that way is, how can I do it? I have to avail myself to teach you. I can sit home and watch a ball game. I can disregard a weekday meeting. That's my choice. That's the way we live. Or I can see my need and avail myself to the opportunities that God gives us in this hour to learn about him. I really don't want to park myself somewhere. I'm just going to hear a little sermonette about a little something that doesn't touch my life. I want to be convicted. I want God to deal with me about things. I'm glad when he does. It's not like I'm trying to make myself a better person. Again, I can't make myself anything. All I can do by myself is perish. I can only be saved as God does something, but I have to respond. This is growth. This is how you grow. But again, unless your eyes are open to see truth, you're not going to grow at all. Unless you know something, if something isn't shown you, you're not going to grow any. Are you still in Ephesians 1? Let me read verse 17, one of my favorite verses. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation concerning what? How important is that? Ephesians chapter 1, that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is our source, that God may give unto you. It's not automatic. Are you with me? God doesn't have to. God is under obligation to nobody. He puts himself to you as your God to do a work in you so that he won't have to judge you when he's done with you. That's love. Because if he leaves you to yourself and you live as you do, you'll die. You will. But God who calls you out of darkness brings you to him and he can't leave you alone because of the frailty of your physical life in this world, your flesh, he calls it. And we'll get to one of these messages coming up. We have a cross in our life too. If you don't have a cross, you can't die. If you can't die, you can't grow. If you can't grow, you die. So he said in Ephesians 1 that God would give to us 
what we don't just automatically have. The spirit in the sense that he gives us two things, the spirit of wisdom. And what's the other one? Revelation. revelation. Wisdom and revelation concerning what? The knowledge of whom? Of him. Then he says in the next verse, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And here is another word, no, so that you may know. We got knowledge in verse 17, a premium. The work of God is to open your eyes and show you something so that you know it. Hmm, that's interesting. Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge, the knowledge of him. Put your finger there just for a moment. Look over in Colossians, two books to the right, chapter 1 and verse 9 and verse 10. Verse 9, that you might be filled with what? The knowledge of his will. How? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. See, that takes away just some academic, yeah, yeah, I can put two and two together. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you can say you know something. Just like if I saw president of our country drive down the road and said, hey, I know who that is. I'd be right, wouldn't I? Now, if I saw Abraham Lincoln out there, we got a problem, see. But he says that you may know, filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What does verse 10 say? And increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, how many times have we heard and come across the word knowledge? Several times. That God would send the Holy Spirit so that you can have knowledge about something to such a way that you may know it. We'll get to the words in just a minute. Again, the same writer writes in Colossians, he said that you need to increase in the knowledge of God. You need to grow in knowledge because you can't grow without it. You can't be something if you don't know what it is. Somebody isn't teaching you what needs to be done, it won't get done. We'll do something else, but we won't do that. And so the issue is what is meant by knowledge here. In fact, before we get to that, keep your finger in Ephesians 1 and look in 2 Peter 1. And in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, wonderful things are said. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you through what? Knowledge of God. Verse 3, according as his divine power hath, has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through? If you don't know that, then this is just something on paper. You've got to know what they are. He's willing to show it to you. Then he went down in verse 5. He said, add to your faith knowledge. In verse 8, he says, uh, if these things are in you and abound, you'll never be unfruitful in the knowledge of Christ. Knowing, 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 knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. What is all of this? It seems to me that when God put pastors and teachers in the church, their main function is instruction. They're not perfect people. If I'm not, it's not perfect. But we don't have to be perfect. Don't have to be deep theologians. You don't have to be a deep theologian. You just need to be anointed. You study, of course, you got to know something. God gives you something to know. And you seek to know something. But God is the one who makes it clear to us. To teach us things. To show us things. Again, how can I be the kind of man God wants me to be if I don't know what kind of man God wants me to be? I can't leave it up to some highly educated soul somewhere to tell me what he thinks I ought to be. That doesn't work. I want to be the way God wants me to be, what he wants me to be. So somebody's going to show me what it is from the scripture, what God wants me to be. There are two words tonight. Two words for knowledge. There's a word, G-N-O-S-I-S, gnosis. The word is not a hard word to know. It's just if you get Gnostics from it. It just simply means to acquire knowledge. It's the learning process. It's what we're doing. Again, if I saw the president driving real slow out in the street here, I can say I know him. I know who that is. 
I've seen the picture. I've heard his voice. I've seen him here and all of that. And so I know who that is. Yeah, I know who that is. Or some young man may see a lovely young lady afar off and say, who is that? And they say, well, that's so-and-so. And so he sees so-and-so again a day or two later somewhere, and he says, I know her. Well, he doesn't know her like no, but he knows who she is. So he has a gnosis relationship with her. He knows her, or he knows him. Now, the bigger word is epi. You had the prefix. Imagine me talking about grammar. You add the prefix upon gnosis, and you get G-N-O-S-I-S. It's one word. There's no, there's no hyphen there. And it's the word epignosis. And it, the word epi indicates a fuller, deeper knowledge. It's like I know who somebody is, and then I go and meet that person and sit down and talk to them for a couple of hours or sit down and talk to them for a little while and ask a lot of questions and learn who they are. I cannot come to this deeper knowledge until I have a desire to know in the beginning. If I have no urges to know about Jesus, I'm not going to waste my time in a meeting like this. I'm not going to be here. You know, so many people have the mindset that I'm not going to church to act like I'm in a classroom. Well, you will wish one day you did. Because this is what we're all about is to take my yoke upon you and learn of me. We can do that while we're at home and by ourselves, certainly. But he also commissions the church to teach till we all come to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, epignosis, epinosis, till we come to a deeper, fuller knowledge. I hear something about him, then I'm drawn into that knowledge. I want to know what that means. Explain that to me again. Remember Jesus' disciples sat around him all the time and said, what did you mean by that? They really wanted to know. And the more they pressed in to know something, the more they began to know something. And at the end of his life, these men went out and changed the world. They had knowledge of God. They had the knowledge that he gave. And he showed them things that would change their life, things that would never be the same in their life again. And wherever they went, they taught people. Jesus taught all the time. In Mark chapter 6, in his own hometown, he couldn't do any mighty work. The Bible says that. He could there do no mighty work except lay his hands on a few sick folk and heal them. He couldn't just heal them all whenever he wanted to. But the next verse says, and then he went about all the villages round about teaching in all their villages. Bible doesn't say a whole lot about this, but... You know, in three and a half years, we only have recorded incidents in those three and a half years. But one of his routines was he'd go to these villages. Jesus would come to town. He'd sit down and he'd teach. He would explain to them about the word. He'd go to another town and he'd sit down. They would come and he would teach them. His disciples, he set them down on the hill in the Sermon on the Mount. He set them down and taught them. The men who heard him teach said he didn't teach like ordinary men. There was something about his teaching. That's what drew men to him. It's that stirring that God put in their hearts when they heard what he said. They'd never heard it before. Some walked away and made fun of it, but many pressed in and became disciples because the things that were being said were, they were wonderful. This word epignosis, it indicates a more thorough participation of the knower with that which is to be known. It's like you talk to me about Jesus, and I learned a few facts about him, yeah. But there's some people who say, well, how do you do that? Why would he walk on the water? Why would he raise the dead? How do he heal the sick? How do he turn water into wine? Why would he do that? Why didn't he just have it before? See, you get some questions in your mind, and you think, I'd like to know the answers to that. Well, get you a Bible and get you a good topical dictionary or something and find yourself a quiet place and make it a habit of sitting down and say, Lord, before I do anything, I really want you to open my eyes to show me things in this book. I want things to be profound to me. You see, the word I'm after is, I want to see what you're saying in such a way that I comprehend it. I get it. 
comprehend it. I want to be able to see it as you're showing it to me. I want what you're showing me to have a powerful influence on my life. The way I act and the way I talk, I don't want to impress people. I don't think I have ever. But I want your word to have such an effect on my life that I really engage with you, that there's this hookup and there's this connection so that I am living the way you want me to live. I want to be affected by it like that. Remember Jesus told some men one time, he said, Lord, we've done this and we've done this. And he said, I never knew you. We never had this contact. You heard about me. You knew who I was. You quoted words that I said, today, big ministers quote the Bible. and They do all these things, make all these promises in a religious atmosphere. I don't know how they live. I don't know what they do. But Jesus said about a lot of those people, he said, I never knew you. You just took what I gave you and you ran but we had no contact. In other words, I don't care if you do preach. I don't care if you preach to thousands of people. That never means you're growing. It never is an indication that you're growing. Being a dynamic preacher, being a sophisticated preacher, doesn't mean you're growing. You may have mastered the art of preaching and the art of leading and standing before a group of people, and you may be a a finely tuned success story. You may be a motivational speaker that very few have ever heard the likes and inspire a lot of people. It never means you're growing. You've learned how to do something. People benefit from it, but that doesn't mean that your connection with God is one of these connections that's going upward. That God is involved in everything in your life doesn't mean that. That point was brought home to me many years ago by somebody who said that to me. We were talking about something. He said, you know, you're not growing. I never forgot that. I thought, what? Do you know who I am? Bonnie, where's the tape list? Let me show them what I've been preaching on. You know what they said? He said, you're not growing. And I thought, surely I am. But then I realized I'm so busy. I'm going, I can get a sermon. It's not hard to make up a sermon. It isn't hard to put things together. I mean, if you're just trying to get a sermon, it's not hard to do. Anybody can preach. If you're bold enough to stand here and talk like this, and some people are good at it, and you can do that, and some people do it well. You give a great following, huge church. It doesn't mean you're growing. That doesn't mean that God is saying, this is my beloved son. This is one just like him. This is the one whose life is patterned after his. Wow. Can you imagine the day that Jesus had this great crowd follow him? His chance to be the biggest pastor in Jerusalem. And he turns <laughs> a huge bunch of people. And except you brood of vipers. I can hear the promoter saying, we'll never have a church you talking like that. We're never going to change the world for God. You talking like that. We're not going to bring this city to its knees if you talk like that. If you want to bring salvation to the world, you got to be gentle with them. Somebody should have told Jesus, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll all perish. They said, what? Yeah, you read the Sermon on the Mount, how narrow that is. He got through the Sermon on the Mount. Some said, wow. While others today said, there's no way. Nobody can live like that. Because they've been talked out of it. They've been talked out. Church members are talked out of all of this. Because it's too narrow. It's too constricting, too confining. There's, you can't win the world living a narrow life. Like we're supposed to win the world. I'm not in this world to win this world. I'm not in this world to feed the sick and the hungry and all of that. My purpose in this world from who I am is to make disciples. All these other things somebody else is going to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. And I will do those other things given the opportunity. But our mission in this world is to grow up into Christ in all things. Isn't that what the word perfect implied till we become that 
perfect man who has gotten there? Is that possible? Look at Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 28 at the end of that chapter. Paul says, I warn. Did he say that? You ain't going to have a big church doing that. I warn every man I meet and so forth that I may present every man how? Perfect. Was that his mission? Was that his call? Is that what God commissioned him to do? To pour his life out to people? He says, I die daily. I labor in this world. I've been shipwrecked and snake bit and run out of town, stoned, just to minister to people, whatever the cost. And he said, I'm willing to do it because when it's over, I want to be able to present every man perfect. To one church, he said, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You were running well. You were doing well. Somebody has come in behind me and talked you out of all of that. That's why I wrote in Ephesians 4, till we no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. To be stable and strong. And when you're growing, you know what you believe. And you're not likely to be thrown off course and deceived and misled. Because you know what you believe, whether anybody else does or not. You sing the song, though none go with me, still I will follow because this is a personal thing I have with God. It's not a church function. It is me listening, partaking, applying, and living. And it's not easy. It's easy to say all of this, but when you get right down to it, as we approach the end, there's going to be sweat and difficulties and tears and people crying out to God, but that's the purpose of pressure, is to press you into your Father knowing that the only source of hope and help you have is here. That's the only thing I got. That's all we have, and that's all I need. But I like to think of it like this. When I have this deeper knowledge, when I'm seeing it like God is showing it to me, and what he's showing me really does determine my life, it's because by the work of the Holy Spirit, I have grasped the significance of it. I read that the other day and got to thinking about it, and I think that is exactly right. How many folks in churches do not see the significance of what the Bible says? They just don't sit. There's an indifference to make an application of the word. There's insincerity about just being a member of a church without growing. But the significance of the word is that when you apply it to your life, you begin to partake of the divine nature. Your life begins to take on a new life, a new purpose, a new way. Everything begins to change. And the reason everything begins to change is because God, who called you to change, is changing you. You sing the song, he's changing me. Do we sing that? My blessed Savior, I'm not the same person that I used to be, although it's slow going, is that right? There is a knowing that someday perfect I will be. He's changing me. My blessed Savior. Have you heard it? I'm not the same person that I used to be. Oh, you have to. But back to my word here so I can finish this message tonight. It's one thing for me to know about Jesus, the tomb, the resurrection, the manger, water to wine, miracles, little kids on his knee. It's one thing to know stuff like that. At least I can say, yeah, I know about that stuff. People say that a lot. But folks, when you get to the place where the Holy Spirit gets your attention and draws you into that little room of conviction and you begin to see it God's way, you're at the crossroads in your life. You have a chance to go on his way and you see the significance of that because eternity is at the end of this one. Or you can take the broad way and miss it all. Knowledge is not a cheap thing. Not everybody gets it. 
The Bible speaks of people that have ears to hear, but they can't hear. They have eyes to see, but they can't see. You know what he said about the parables in Matthew 13? He said, I speak to them in parables because it is not given unto them to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But God, that isn't fair. Are you going to tell God what's fair? Who's going to tell God what's fair? Remember the illustration of the potter and the clay? Remember when the potter gets that clay on the table and he rolls some of those pieces of clay into little balls and see how many he can throw against the wall and stick them? Then he takes a big piece of clay and makes a beautiful picture out of it so he can set it in a prominent place in the house and takes another one over here and makes a spittoon out of it and throws the other rest of them against the wall. Is that fair? Who said it wasn't? It's his creation. He can do with his creation whatever he pleases. God is under obligation to no man's rules and no man's system. He is God. One of the attributes of God, that he is solitary. He needs nothing. He didn't make man because he needed fellowship. He has no needs. He had no needs when there was only God and there was nothing else out there. He does what he does because it's in his heart to do it. The Bible says, by wisdom, he made the world. By wisdom. Go back to Colossians 1. By wisdom, he made the world and does all the things that he does because he's God. He is God. I think the more, if you'll allow me to say this for just a moment, I think the more you begin to see God as you draw near to him. You begin to see who he is and how he is. His majesty, his glory, that he's God. Omnipotent, omnipresent. He knows everything, is everywhere, can do anything. And we are his only by invitation. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And when you begin to see that, and when that revelation comes to the hearts that it comes to, you begin to honor God with your life. The fear of God sets in. This is who you're dealing with. This is who you'll answer to in the end. When your life is over, this is who you will appear before. The God of all heaven and all eternity. The God who created, I don't know what science calls it, whatever a billion magnified a gillion times stars and stuff out there. He made it with a word. Be whop. See how far is from one end to the other? Too many zeros. Billions of miles. He made it with a word. The psalmist spoke about that. He said, when I behold, I come to this conclusion. What is man that you're mindful of us? Little old, cheap, dirty, failing, weak-laden, lusty, little old, miserable us. Why would somebody is bigger than whatever I can make it out to be? Why would you have anything to do with us? All those stars are so far away. Remember the grain of salt representing the earth? You got a golf ball in Florida. It's the next closest star to the sun. And there's so many gillion of them, they keep going out there. So many billion light years away, they say. Woo, I think, man, this is who we deal with. This is who personally contacted you and said, I want you to be my child. But don't think that I'll tolerate your indifference because I'll judge you for it. I'm giving you a chance to go from glory to glory to glory and in the end be seated with me in heavenly places forever and ever and ever. You got a brief life on this earth like a vaporous smoke, and it's over. Now take advantage of it, get as much as you can, make application of it because there's nothing else. This is all there is. And apart from this is nothing. It's death. Boy, we should be grateful, shouldn't we? Oh, Jesus. We should be so grateful for what we've got and what we're being given. Have you found Colossians 1 yet? In verse 9, he mentioned these things. 
For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you in Shelbyville and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge, that's that deeper word, the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You got three words are used in Proverbs all the time. Speaking of the fear of God, the Bible said the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because your attitude about God will open up to you what God has for you. And if you reverence God, then you're a candidate for what he's got. And he'll begin to show you wonderful, deep and mighty things to come. He will do a work in your life and he that begun it will finish it and so on and so forth. But he said, in verse 9, he said, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now we know what knowledge is. Wisdom is what you do with knowledge. It's the right application of knowledge. Not just doing something. People hear things and run with it. But it's the right application of knowledge. For example, if the Bible says, go you into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you need wisdom to do that? If I'm to go into all the world and preach the gospel, I need to know how to do that. I need to learn how to come and go. I have knowledge of what I'm supposed to do. I really don't know how to do this yet. Is that okay? I need some instruction and some inspiration as to how to move with the Spirit. I need to recognize when the Spirit is talking to me and when it's flesh. And I need to know when to preach and when not to preach. Sometimes you don't cast your pearl before the swine. Sometimes it's not right to preach. Other times it is. Paul said, in season or out of season, you declare the way of God, whether they want it or not. But I need to know what the difference is. I need wisdom on how to do things of that sort. And Paul said, I pray that you will have knowledge of him in all wisdom and so forth. I want the wisdom that comes from above. The wisdom that checkmates my fleshly desire. Wisdom that says, this is what you should do. Because basically, that's how wisdom comes to us. This is what God says. This is what you should do with it. This is the direction I ought to go. I should walk away from this. I should pursue this. I should refrain or I should get after. Lord, I need to know. And Paul prayed, said, you know, don't just grab a verse of Scripture and run headlong into a problem you can't get out of. You need to sit down and... Find out how God wants you to do this. When God knocked Paul off of that horse on that Damascus road, it was several years before he preached. He went somewhere on the other side of the desert. He just got quiet. God gave him revelation. He didn't know what to do with it. So he took the revelation to the apostles. He said, this is what the Lord showed me. What do you all think? Sounds good to us. And so he began to operate that way. He was in no hurry. He didn't want to commit an abortion. He didn't want to bring forth something before it's time. So he just waited and let the Lord bring it forth. Sometimes that's a, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Sometimes you're just afraid, and that's not wisdom. But he said you should have wisdom, and then the third word he used there was understanding. This Greek word for understanding means to comprehend. We mentioned it a while ago. It means to comprehend has to do with perception. You find these three words in the Proverbs a lot, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. When you understand, and God shows you something, he tells you something, then he gives you wisdom on what to do with it. There comes that light on after this in which the Holy Spirit begins to show you what's going on and why, and you go, oh. I see. Okay, now I understand what you want. Oh, I got it. Okay, I got it. Now, this man will have peace about what he does, and though none go with him, he'll go anyway. God can use this person. They're not going to buy him. Money ain't going to take him out of the kingdom. He's not going to be afraid of the threats of his life. It's not going to be too far, too hot, too cold, too young, too old. God shows him something. He knows what to do with it, and God opens his eyes to see his purpose, and he goes, oh, I got it. Praise the Lord. And he knows what he's supposed to do. The word denotes the ability to understand concepts and see the relationships between them. I see it. Okay, I got you, Lord. In Ephesians 1, 
he prayed this. I pray that the eyes of your understanding, the word understanding there is what we're talking about here with seeing it, getting it, the big picture. Oh, I got it. I see it. It's not like a person who has to, as I mentioned last week in Hebrews 5, that there still need to be milk and not strong meat because they never exercise their senses. They never tried to get a hold of it. They just sort of heard it but didn't do anything with it and didn't want to have to fight all that deep stuff. I don't like that theological stuff. Remember the story of the sower and the seed in Matthew 13? Say you do. Remember the first kind of ground the seed fell on was the hard soil of the path? Remember how Jesus explained that soil to his disciples who wanted to know what that meant? He said the good seed, which is in Luke 8, says the good seed is the word of God. He said when the seed fell on that hard path, he said those who heard it did not understand it. And then the Bible says that the fowls of the air came, which is the devil, and snatched away the word that was sown in his heart. The problem here was he didn't understand it. You say, well, how can a man just understand? No, the point of the word here is he didn't make application of himself. He didn't say, what does that mean? I want to know what that means. Most of us are just sermon tasters, not us here, but I mean, most Christians are sermon tasters. They're just spiritual prognosticators, I guess. They're just sermon tasters. They go to church and they hear sermons and they hope it's good. If it's good, the preacher gets to stay a while. Whew, it's a performance thing. But when you understand it, when you begin to see what God is saying and you begin to get the picture and it begins to come into your heart, that becomes conviction. That word that was sown, they didn't want to be convicted about that. I don't want to have to take time in my day to find out what that means and then live that way. I got a lot of friends. What would I say on Facebook if I became a Christian? And so forth. See, it has to do with your mind. Your understanding is when your mind begins to connect. Because you have a mind, you have to use it. You begin to think. Remember Paul said their mind has to be renewed? And when the mind is renewed, you begin to see what God is saying and what he wants. When you make that connection, then you go, oh, I got it. Oh, I see what you're saying now, Lord. That's understanding. This is how he wants us to understand him and his will. Turn to Hebrews 10, because God uses this word, this word about understanding. God uses this word to describe how you will know what he meant when he gives revelation to you. That is, when God speaks to you and he opens your eyes, when he begins to reveal things to you, understanding is how you know what he meant when he said that. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 16. God said, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. The word minds and understanding are the same Greek word. And into their understanding, into their minds, I will write this. Your mind will begin to see it. If this is not going on, if this kind of activity, spiritual activity, is not happening in our life, if we truly are not growing, if we're not embracing new things or things that he said or wrestling with something and beginning to do these things and live on his terms, if we're not doing that, if we're shutting our minds off to the word, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to go, I don't want that subject to come into my mind, I don't want to learn, don't clutter me with facts. What happens to us? From heaven's side, looking down at a church full of really good people, nice people, but people that are told they don't have to grow, they aren't growing, they're not even trying to grow, don't want to grow. What happens? If God is not putting his word, his law into our minds and our hearts, then what will happen to us? I got one more verse for you, Ephesians 4, to tell you what's going to happen to you. We read it last week. Let's read it again. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. This is what happens. Having the understanding what? Now, what does that mean? 
in as much as we're trying to learn something. Like having the understanding darkened means what? It means the mind isn't seeing it. It's not clicking. It's not being comprehended. So if thy word is light, thy word is a light into my path, the entrance of thy words give light. Now, if that word is not coming in, if God isn't showing it to us, if we're not getting this work of God that makes disciples, this revelation from God, not only are we not growing, but the worse is that we're in darkness. Most people don't know they're in darkness because it's no big deal. So, you ask them if they're going to heaven, they're all going to heaven. Go to their funeral, they all went to heaven. Nobody's lost. Everybody's saved today. If you go by the funeral. But he said, but he said, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. I think tonight, as I close, I think that is a tragic tragic situation to think that in this day and this age when there's so much available to us if we want to take the time to get it that we don't want it i don't know of a nation in this world that's ever had any time in its existence has had it better as far as the word of god than america has we're in a land at peace we got tapes and discs and books Friends, church meetings, fellowships, seminars. We got something going on on the clock all the time. There's enough there for us to be spiritual giants. And we're so busy with this world. We're so involved in becoming, getting, and having and the American dream. And Jesus sticks this cross right in our path. And he says, you can't even get up here. You can't get where you're going without this cross. You're going to have to die. Remember the rich young ruler? He worked hard to get all of that. And Jesus said, give it to the poor. I can't do that. He walked away. I just think it would be real tragic today that if a person had darkness in his heart, if a man was truly alienated or cut off from the life of God, because he was ignorant. Why would anybody be ignorant today? Why? He certainly doesn't have to be. Well, you need to close with this one. I got another close. And if you don't respond to this, we'll have to get another one to close with. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is your chance to close good. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved? And what? Where do you get truth? Truth comes from God, doesn't it? Who has it today? Where do you find it? It's out there. It's out there. The truth is out there. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. Amen. Bow your head with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to bless your word to your people. That you would take the words that are spoken. They wouldn't believe anything because I said it, Lord, but that you would show them by your spirit the truth about what was said and that they'll believe that. Lord God, deliver us from complacency, indifference. Deliver us from our substitutes and all of our complaints. Open our eyes, Lord, that we can see Jesus and be convicted. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? God is good. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like Him all through life's journey from earth to glory.
to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like Him, all through life's journey. is to be like Him.